Would you turn with me tonight to a psalm that's been a blessing to me in these last days, Psalm 130, Psalm 130. And I might mention in passing, incidentally, I don't know how many of you happen to watch television. Uh, there were two programs on two nights, one on Thursday and one on Friday night, and one was called The Son of Man, put out by the British Broadcasting Company, and the other was called Joseph of Arimathea, and that was uh, put out by the, I guess, the Protestant Council. I don't know, really, but anyway. But uh, if any of you did see any part of it, I uh, got home from the conference this night, and I put on uh, Joseph of Arimathea. It was a hallmark special, you know, presentation. I never have been so completely upset by a program in which they, in the prologue of the thing, they say according to the record in the New Testament. Well, I don't know where they ever got that record from. The New Testament never had to say what they had to say. And it really, I couldn't help but think of the portion in Scripture where it says, in the last days false teachers shall come in unawares, right into your home. And the teaching of both the first one, the son of uh, man, and the second one, Joseph of Arimathea, were as far from the Scriptures as they possibly can be. And it was really shocking. In Joseph of Arimathea, the last thing I mentioned was that Joseph of Arimathea is talking to his son, and they've made Christ, of course, uh, a, a rebellious one, part of the rebellion group. And uh, Joseph of Arimathea quotes the scripture to his son. The son and he are parting. They're going different ways. And so the uh, father says to the son, well, remember the words of Jesus. In my father's house are many mansions. And this means there are many ways to God. You go your way, I'll go my way. Now, did you ever see such violence to scripture? And this was put on as a special, and I suppose that uh, the listening audience was tremendous to that program. Because whenever this Hallmark outfit has a special, uh, I really, in the uh, in the first throes of my feelings, I said to myself, I'll never buy another Hallmark card again. I probably will, but you know, that's how I felt in my heart when I heard that kind of trash on the television. Then the other one, the Son of Man, that must have been tragic. I didn't see it uh, myself. But uh, after that one, a Roman Catholic priest and sad to say, a professor of the Eastern Baptist Seminary were on. And the, well, to put it clearly, you'd have been proud of the Roman Catholic priest. But you wouldn't have anything to say for the man from Eastern Baptist Seminary. The Roman Catholic priest argued for the divinity of Christ. And of course, Eastern Baptist Seminary professor said, I agree perfectly with what the program had to say. 
and it had to say nothing about Christ being son of God and son of man and just threw the whole thing out. So these are the things, and I, I couldn't help but think, you know, where it talks about false teachers coming in unawares. And if there's anything that's unawares, it's to have your children sitting in front of a television set watching a lot of trash, or adults too, and getting a lot of stuff that's supposed to be doctrine, and even saying, as taken from the New Testament, uh, well, I don't know where they ever, what kind of a New Testament they got a hold of, but it's not the one we have. It has nothing to do with it. But uh, I thought I'd mention it because really I think you're going to find more and more of this inclination to place Jesus in the hippie group. I think that's the inclination. And to place him in the group of the rebellious. He was one of the rebellious ones of his age, in other words. And all of those who are rebellious today are of the same character. Don't you fool yourself. Don't you fool yourself. That may be what the television says, but that isn't what God has to say. And as I've said many times, the scripture may say things, you know, uh, as it is. But I want to tell you, then they go on to tell you what it should be. That's the difference. It isn't just as it is. It's as it should be before the Lord. All right, Psalm 130. I just wanted to mention that because those two programs had rather annoyed me to think of how little here's Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ coming up, and that's the best thing they can do, put on programs of that character. They might as well forget it. Uh, Psalm 130. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Couldn't help, of course, this application to Israel is wonderful, but the application to us is tremendous. For those who believed in Israel, we have to remember that it tells us that lest our faith was like the faith of Abraham, that we couldn't possibly be redeemed, that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so it is with that kind of faith that we have come and found Christ as our personal savior. But I couldn't help but think of uh, some of the things we were talking about this morning and uh, Israel and Joshua and Jericho and the Jordan and uh, how the Lord had said to Joshua, uh, sanctify thyself, for the Lord will do wonders for thee on the morrow. And uh, I really, you know, the great wonders, of course, of the falling of the walls of Jericho and all of that are tremendous, but I couldn't help but think that there was a lot more than that involved in the wonders that God was going to perform. Because in Canaan were these nations, it was going to take seven years of battle to win. 
I think of that six weeks' war, you know, Israel had last time. But it, uh, the wars at that time ran seven years before they won the final conflict. But the big thing was that it wasn't just a matter of conquering them because the Lord had said certain things about this land of Canaan. And here's, I'll just read it to you. Because of the abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out before thee. There shall not be found with thee now, notice this. Because of their abominations, the Lord has driven them out before thee. There shall not be found with thee one that uses divination. In other words, this is what happened in that land of Canaan. People wonder, why did God send in the armies and why did all them die outside of Rahab? They all died. There was a reason for that. There shall not be found with thee one that useth divination or one that practices augury or an enchanter or a sorcerer or a charmer or a consulter with a familiar spirit or a wizard or an acromiser. For whosoever doeth these things is an abomination to God. And so Israel was directed, their salvation God had given them, but Israel was directed that nothing that these people had was ever to become part of their setup. I often think of Christians sometimes how, you know, they can talk about they've been to a fortune teller or been to this or they've done this or they've gone by tea leaves and all that kind of junk, you know. And, uh, and then I think of how God says, this is an abomination, any of that kind of thing to me. I don't want anybody ever looking to that kind of thing. He said, that's why I'm driving them out. Because he says they're involved in all sorts of things and they have familiar spirits. They are communing through demonic spirits with the dead. I don't want this mediums under the control of demons communing with the dead. He says, I want none of this in Israel because this is wicked. And this is mesmerism. The use of evil spirits to get contact with those who've gone on. Demonical possession of mediums' bodies. And I... Couldn't help, I had read a man that I thought had a tremendous, he said, all these things, Pember is his name, all these things are a transgression of the limits of humanity as laid down by the Creator. And the unlawful confusion which it brings is its own immediate punishment in addition to the fearful judgment of God. For our very body appears to be intended by God to serve as a fortress through the Holy Spirit and is not improbably devised by God for the very purpose of sheltering us in some degree from the corrupting influences of demons. Comes into our being. And he says, greater is he that is in you than 
he that is in the world. And so he warned Israel here that there was never to be any divination or sorcery or mesmerism or contact with familiar spirits. Be careful, he said. This abomination has caused the complete destruction of Canaan. And one of the reasons they were completely destroyed was that the darkness was so great in these seven nations that God knew that what was going on there, the evil and the spiritualism, was going to sweep the world. And so for seven years he gave Israel victory over victory over victory because he did not want these things to go on. Now, let me tell you, there's plenty of it that goes on today, you know. I don't know whether you have any contact with things like this. Well, you can think of Bishop Pike. I don't know whether he's contacted his wife yet. I haven't read much about that, but if not, she's expecting it or trusting that she's going to be contacted. And, of course, you remember his talking about his contact with his son and all of the other things. And I want to say that this can be so satanic and can so involve people. And some of you people here tonight have loved ones who've gotten involved with spiritualism. And I want to tell you, it is a tragic thing, tragic thing. So when the psalmist here is speaking about Israel and the victory of Israel, let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy. Israel wasn't to get involved with all of these things. Time after time after time, God had to correct Israel. She was inclined, just like the church, beloved, so often is inclined, individual people, individual members, to get involved with these things. Who would think that Israel, so blessed of God, so wonderfully undertaken for by God, would find it so easy to get involved with a golden calf would find it so easy to get involved with all kinds of sin so that God had to say the sins that are happening in the world, I hear things that are happening in Israel that seem even worse. And in the church of God, Paul says, there are things happening in the church which even the people in the world don't talk about. And so there has to be tremendous, tremendous care. Now this is speaking of a believer here out of the depths, out of the depths have I cried unto thee. And beloved, there's a universal despair in men's hearts. If a man is of the world, if he's an unbeliever, there's a universal despair in his heart when he has no relationship to God. Oh, it may not be seen. It is not obvious. We don't wear our feelings on our sleeves. And we may not see it. But there is a despair that can only be assuaged by God. And that's all. There's a longing there. There's something missing terribly. And then there's the longing of the Christian. And here especially I'm thinking of believers, since this is a psalmist. And he says, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. And there's this deep and tremendous despair of heart. Undoubtedly, this psalmist has become involved in something that he should not be in. Or he is so far off from God that he's longing and crying out to God, please hear me, please hear me. 
And I think so many times in our lives, undoubtedly, we cry out to God and we wonder whether the, whether the heavens are brass, whether God is really hearing us. But the greatest despair of all in the Christian life and in the psalmist's life would be sin. This is the greatest despair. It's a despair that, that hits the hardest. And that despair, beloved, is, is a common despair. It's not something unusual. I think that that despair that comes into our human hearts is something that is only possible between Christ and the Christian. The only reason sorrow or depth of despair should ever come into a Christian heart is because sin has separated him from his Savior, has broken the fellowship between him and his Savior. Certainly, nothing else should ever do this, should ever break that fellowship but sin. Persons should never break that fellowship with Jesus Christ. This always shocks me deeply when, as I've mentioned other times, when someone says to me, I am not close to Christ because of what a brother did. And there's something wrong with this, you see. The whole, the whole uh, sentence itself is, is erroneous. It doesn't have any meaning because you're, you're charging to a person the breaking of a relationship with Jesus. And the only thing that will break that relationship, remember the word of God is clear, is that sin will come in between you and Christ. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. There is the fellowship that is always there as sins are confessed and sins are forgiven. If anyone here tonight has broken fellowship with the Savior, never charge it to somebody else, some person. Don't say the reason I don't have fellowship is because I don't get along well with my husband or I'm a little bored with life. This has nothing to do with fellowship with Jesus Christ. Fellowship with Christ is based upon a clean vessel having access into the very throne room of God where the communion can be held between the Lord Jesus and his child. And so it never can have to do with your feelings about other people or poor business or the fact that the job isn't what it should be or anything of that character. This has nothing to do with our fellowship with Jesus Christ. Sin is the only thing that should ever break that relationship with your Savior. And so when the psalmist says, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord, he's speaking of the depths to which he has gone down. I, I don't believe, if I can say this, that it, it's necessary to get down this far into the depths. I know I hear people say, for instance now, I just had two weeks ago, I, I don't know how many of you know George Hitchin. Uh, well, I have George Hitchin now down in Keswick. Uh, he went down just a few days ago to Keswick. And uh, I'm thrilled that he's down there. But I, when I was talking with Paul Voles down there and discussing this, Paul says there are a lot of people who say until the man has hit absolute bottom, absolute bottom, there's nothing can be done for that man. I've heard this terminology a lot of times. I would dread to think that this has to happen 
to everybody that you've got to hit bottom before you can bounce up and find Christ. What a terrible tragedy this would be. I'll never forget some of my young people coming home from a rally in Calvary Baptist Church in New York, and this was when Word of Life was there. And some of the young people coming back to me and saying to me, Pastor, the rally was great, but there was a man outside the door. And every t everybody came out, all of us young people come out, and he grabbed a hold of us. And he said to us, you young people will really never know Christ because you haven't come up out of the gutter like I did. In other words, unless you hit the bottom, it's not possible to know Christ. And this is as far from the truth as it can be. Not necessary. And here the psalmist says, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord, and undoubtedly he has gone down a long, long way. And if he had listened to God, so unnecessarily he comes late to God. All that we would on the first infractions of sin flee to God. I believe that every Christian who falls into sin gets many warnings because God loves you. If the scripture is right in Hebrews 12, it says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son. So God will immediately, when sin comes, infraction comes of, of his divine righteousness, he will deal with us. And so often when I deal with people, I say, Pastor, I was warned. If I could tell you all the places God warned me all along the line, he warned me, and I kept pressing and pressing and going further and further and further until I've reached the depths now of the despond that I'm in. The psalmist need not have hit that bottom, but undoubtedly he did hit that bottom because out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord, hear my voice. And the depths speak of an inability to do anything for himself. He has nothing that he can do for himself at all. He's tried on his own, but he's ready to drown. There's nothing that his family can do for him. He's in the depths of despond. A mother, a father, a wife, or a husband. When the person gets that down deep into the despair, there's only one person in all the world can help him, and it's Jesus and him alone. Because you can be consoled by people, they can sympathize with you, they can do all kinds of things for you, but the only one that can take care of the problem and get you out of the depths of the despond is not by people encouraging you, not by people talking to you. They can talk and talk and talk, but I remind you the only giver of joy is Christ. The only possibility of having joy is Christ. The whole principle of Scripture is that if you've been in sin, if you're in the depths of despond, if you departed from God, if you failed in some place, if somehow you've wandered far off and you're out in the world, the only possibility is to come back to God and to say unto him, I have sinned, Father, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You see, there's no possibility otherwise. The depths here that he's in are the opposites of the joys he had. He's in the depths of despond. Nobody's able to help him. Man's help is no good. Psychiatric help is no good to the Christian whose problem is sin. 
You can go to the psychiatrist from now till doomsday. But unless the sin problem is cleared up, Jesus will never let you go. He'll keep you under the despondency. His hand will be heavy upon you as it was upon David. He says, all my bones, David said, did cry out within me. All my moisture was dried within me. And his hand, he says, was heavy upon me until I confessed my sin. And then his mind cleared up. Now, isn't that great? He got the problem straightened out, you see. And so the psalmist here is letting us know that this depths, the depths of despond that you get in, that there are no answers in ourselves. May I say this? You've come to Christ, but the good self that you may think you're, you are now, the good self is no better than the bad self to do anything for yourself. Good self. Remember, the good self is no better than the bad self to do anything for yourself because it's all self. The only thing that can do anything for you is the Christ who dwells in your hearts by faith. Sometimes we have an idea that because we have found Christ as our Savior, now we can take care of ourselves and we can somehow win the battle. But I want to tell you, there's no winning the battle without the captain of your salvation dwelling in your breast and fighting the fight for you and winning the battle. And so he speaks out of the depths of his heart and he speaks out of the torment of his heart, if I can say that, the torment of a soul redeemed by the blood but having drifted afar off from God, a mind tortured by guilt, the guilt feelings that come into the heart and to the mind. And out of such depths, he cries. Now, that's the best indication in the world when you begin to cry out of the depths. It's when there's no crying to God, that's where the problems are. But he cries out of the depths unto God. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. Now, in Psalm 19, Psalm 19, the psalmist speaks of his approach to God and how God heard him. And he speaks here, I'm just trying to find the portion that I'm interested in. Verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The fear of the Lord is clean. You know, you don't, you don't see that often, do you, very much? The fear of the Lord is clean. So to say, if we, if we look to God and we really fear the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's clean. And that then God hears us. 
The Lord wants to hear us. The Lord longs to hear us. And so when the psalmist cries out of his heart, we find in another psalm, Psalm 116, that he says this, I love the Lord. Psalm 116, first verse. I love the Lord. Why? Because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Now, why does it say, I love the Lord? Because the only way God can hear him is if there's not iniquity in his heart. If I regard iniquity in my heart, what? He will not hear me. Now, the psalmist says here, the Lord hears me. He hath heard my voice. I love the Lord. He's heard me. This means if he's heard me, he does not regard any iniquity in my heart. And I can know that the prayers that I've uttered, he has listened to. And he's heard. But notice the psalmist that we've just looked here. He says, Lord, hear my voice. Out of the depths I'm crying. I want you to hear me. I plead with you to hear my voice. Now, what are the depths of such despond that we can get into? Well, you know, they'd be many, many things. They're multicolored and their effects upon us are terrible. And remember that uh, such feelings indicate a grieved Holy Spirit. I mean, the depths of despond that we can get in. And uh, I couldn't help but think of, uh, we feel like a worm and no man. You know, that's scripture too. Feel as a worm and no man. You're longing to see God, but you have these terrible feelings, this abject despair in your soul. We feel unworthy even of family life and love. This is the feelings that go on in the human heart. We feel we're not deserving of anything. We're in deep despair, deep despond. We, uh, we breathe deep sighs that are really longing sighs. We don't know where they even come from. But the pit of the stomach is empty. And, uh, you know, the life is just it's sighing itself away because there's a, there's a gap between you and God. If I could say a, a generation gap, but it's just a gap between you and God. And that gap is there, and those sighs are so terrible within the breast. And beloved, I know these things because in dealing with people, they'll, they'll, they'll describe their feelings to me. And these are the kind of feelings they get within them. I'm a worm, Pastor. I... I don't deserve my family's love. I don't deserve anything. And I, deep within me, I'm sighing all the time. On my job, I sigh and I sigh and I sigh. And I'm crying out to God. I have to get my life straightened out. There's so much I want him to forgive me for. I want to bring all my sins to him. I want cleansing. I want forgiveness. And all the time, God is 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 slow in operation. I tell you, God has to operate with different people differently. He can't operate with you like he operates with me or Bob or anybody else in this place. He deals with each of us separately and individually. God, in one case, may be able very quickly. Here's the heart that comes and at a deep despond cries out to God for, to, for the Lord to hear him. And the Lord looks down upon this sensitive child who is so deeply desponding 
and quickly when the sin is confessed, the forgiveness comes immediately and the cleansing goes on and it's finished and it's through and the child gets up and the joy of the Lord is great in the heart and really in just a, an overnight because God knows that child's temperament and disposition as a Christian indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and he knows that's all I have to do with this son. But then there's another son and the other son is just like in the family. You have two or three children and you know that the punishment for one child or the chastening is different from the other children. To one, it may be that just a word or maybe a little look from a father or mother's eye will so change the heart of that child that it's a, a tremendous thing. You don't know why it is. They've been born of the same parents, came out of the same womb, born of the same mother, the same father, and yet completely different disposition so that the one child responds so quickly and you really you almost dread to say anything to them for their, their little hearts seem to break so quick. But the other one, you could stand there and just grit the teeth like this and stand like that, you see? Same family, same relationship. It's exactly the same with God our Father and with his children. The one child he can forgive very quickly because he knows this child is so sensitive to my chastening and responds so quickly to me. But here's this other child. I've been chastening this child for months and for years. I've been dealing them with for days or weeks or months. And I finally got him to the point where his heart is broken but I can't possibly forgive him overnight. It's going to take time with this child. He's going to have to stay under my hand heavy upon him until I get what I want from my son. And when I know that his repentance is complete and he has suffered as he should suffer, God does not make us suffer except for our advantage and our benefit. Remember that. It says that in Hebrews 12. Your fathers chastened you after their own pleasure. He for your profit. So if he has to take his time with you, he has reason for it. Your disposition is such that he has to keep you under that condition. Out of the depths have I cried, O Lord, hear me. And the Lord's answer might be, Son, I hear you, but I'm not through yet. Once before you were in this sin, or twice before, or three times before, I dealt quite gently with you, but this time I'm going to hold you under my hand, heavy, 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 until I get what I want, and I'll know that you'll not go back into it again. Now, isn't that true in the family? Same thing, same thing. And so God's hand has to deal with us very, very carefully. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive, please, Father, to my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, who can stand? That's sort of an escapism almost, you know saying, well, Lord, I recognize myself and I know I've been completely wrong, but who in the world could stand, you know? Nobody could stand if I regard iniquities. In other words, I'm no worse than many others. And the Lord all the time is saying, now listen, I'm not dealing with others, I'm dealing with you. 
and I am looking for repentance from you, and I will forgive you because whom the Father loves, he chastens and scourges every son. But I have promised you that if you confess your sins, I'll be faithful and just to forgive you your sins. More than that, I want to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, I can forgive you, and you've confessed it, and your sin is forgiven. It's forgiven. But the cleansing process is going to take a little longer. Forgiveness comes when we ask for forgiveness. If we're faithful and we ask him for forgiveness, he says, I'll forgive you, but he's going to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the cleansing process can be a little slow. It takes time. So don't be surprised sometimes. You go to God for forgiveness and you get up and you say, boy, I still feel terrible, you know? I wonder if the Lord's forgiven me. Yes, he's forgiven you because you've asked for forgiveness, but he's going to take his time in cleansing you because he knows you and he knows precisely the amount of time it will take him. He loves you like you don't know yourself. And it's going to take him that time. So if in your life there's a crying out in the depths of despond over a departure from God or a coldness to God or an indifference to God and God's hand seems very heavy upon you and it seems as though the heavens are brass and you don't seem to be breaking through and you say, Lord, I pray, but the heavens are brass. I never seem to break through. All God is saying, son, you're still mine, but I am taking that time that's necessary to get the finished product all the dross burned away that I might get that pure, refined gold that I want in your life. Now, that's how God deals with us. That's how God deals with us. Otherwise, he'd be just one of these robots up there that you run up to God and you say, I, you know, that's what I did when I was a Catholic boy. I used to think that's all I had to do, run in on Saturday night and confess my sins to the priest and it's all forgiven and next week go over it again and go back on Saturday night and confess my sins and that was it. Automatic, God is not that way. He's a father. And as a father loves his children, so he loves you. And whom the father loves, he chastens. And if he does not chase you, then you are like an illegitimate child. That's what it says. But he loves you and he chastens you and he chastens you for your profit, that you might really come out and be the kind of a son or a daughter that he wants you to be. Now, beloved, when you cry out from the depths, never cry out, Lord, deliver me from chastening. The scripture says, if ye endure chastening. Now, no chastening for the moment seems to be joyous, does it? But grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruits of what? Righteousness. To who? To them that are exercised thereby. In other words, you knew you were being chastened of God and you were exercised by it and it brought forth righteousness. And that's what God wants for you and for me. Let us pray. Now, Father, we thank thee for thy precious word tonight. And Lord, how mindful we are, how carefully you deal with us. You don't deal with us all the same. We're all different, and we're thankful for that. We're so thankful, Lord, that our families are not composed of robots. We're all different personalities. 
No two snowflakes are alike. No two Christians are alike. No two human beings are alike. Everyone completely different. And so, Father, we're glad that you deal with us. We're happy that you deal with us as a father does his children. And each father knows here tonight and each mother that they deal with their children, each one differently, loving them exactly alike, but dealing with them according to their needs, chastening according to need. And so, Father, we pray that as those who are thy children, we will recognize that we are different and that God may have to deal with some slowly till he brings us to the place he wants us to be. Do some quickly because he knows how quickly they respond when they have grieved him. But Father, we're thankful that as a father loves his children, so you love us. And your one desire is always to restore us and to bring back the joy of our salvation. That it's never your will that we should be mournful. It's always your will that your child should be joyous. We remember, Lord, you said that to us. Receive ye my joy that your joy might be full. Now, Father, may we experience the joy of the Lord in our hearts because our sins have been confessed and forsaken. And thou hast cleansed us from all unrighteousness. In Christ's name, amen.